Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of life with IBD. We will hopefully make you laugh, cry, and probably speechless, like Sarah is most of the time when I'm telling my stories. Welcome to episode two of Pop to the Lou. Today, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into actual IBD. I know our first episode was a bit more lighthearted and not sure we really talked about IBD in any way other than the intro. So today we're going to talk about Cass's story and her diagnosis and treatment and everything. And then we are going to do mine in a separate episode. So let's start with our mind and stomach check-in. So I felt all right this week. Uh, a little bit anxious because obviously we launched the podcast on Thursday. So I think, you know, we had excitement, but we had anxiety as, as well um, surrounding that release. And, um, you know, we the, the whole point of doing the podcast was to kind of reach out to people and, and, and hopefully cheer people up. So I was just really conscious that I just wanted to make sure that had happened, if that makes sense. Um, obviously, Sarah and I work full time as well. So and we, this isn't our only project that we're doing. So we're, we're extremely busy. So I think there was a, there was a lot to do for Thursday and it was an absolutely awesome thing. Like we, we just loved everything about it. And again, your feedback was amazing. And just uh, all those messages were just worth all the kind of 5am and 11pms recording Sarah's end that we did. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, it was a stressful, but completely fulfilling experience, if that makes sense. So yeah, so probably like mental health this week, I've just been a little bit stressed, a little bit anxious, but I think that just goes with anything when you're starting something new and then my stomach's been fine. I've probably been, (laughs) I've probably been, because we've launched, we've been launching this week, probably been eating too much cake as you know, I'm really enjoying at the moment. Um, so really enjoying my gluten-free brownies. And then I made a mistake of adding leeks to my pasta dish last night, which I haven't eaten in forever, but my creamy mushroom bacon pasta dish asked for leeks in it. So I was chopping them up, chopping them in, loads of butter. And then I was super ill last night. Um, You know, those cramps where you can't move, you can't breathe. The pain is just so excruciating. Never can say that word. Um, But yeah, all the guys and girls out there with IBD, you know what it's like those cramps are just insane and unless you experience those cramps you cannot describe them or understand them at all so yeah I had a bit of a bit of a bad stomach last night but feel okay today how about you sir I'm happy you're feeling better definitely know what the fuck those cramps feel like oh my god (laughs) I am I think I'm the same I feel like I say this all the time but definitely the same anxiety and I woke up Thursday morning. So the podcast was released, I think like 1 PM on my Thursday and I just felt on edge and it it took me a bit to clue in. I'm like, what is wrong with me today? And then I was like, oh shit, (laughs) the podcast is coming out. So I think it was more so just the unknown of how it was going to go. And like, I feel like I've said a million times, I'm such a private person. So it's been quite difficult to really share this aspect of my life. But it was so well received and we got so many incredible messages 
from our friends and our family, but also I think what meant the most, no offense, um, <laughs> was um, the people that we don't know that reached out to us. And we had some really great conversations and just knowing that we could make an impact on other people's lives, whether that just be make them smile or laugh at me or <laughs> <laughs> dusty. Oh God, let's not. <laughs> um, and my stomach hasn't been great. I probably did that to myself a little bit with all the stress that I've been under and letting it get to me. And then also last weekend was my Canadian Thanksgiving. And I had a little picnic with some friends, which was so lovely. I made a pumpkin pie and it took two days wine. to make. It's so much work, babe. It is so much work, but I think it was the food, the alcohol, the stress. So I'm officially on a white rice diet. It's been a few days though, and it's been helping, helping enough that I feel like I can have a drink or two every now and then again. <laughs> so. She's drinking some rosé right now, people. <laughs> Stomach is calming down with my rice diet and it's what works for me. Obviously I know it's not giving me any nutrition, but it is helping my stomach relax. And, yeah. and you, you made a good point as well, sir. I think it's really important for people out there as well to, to remember this time of year is really difficult for anyone with diabetes because you naturally, I don't know about you guys out there, but you naturally start to visit people more, don't you? Because it's coming up to Christmas, it's Thanksgiving, things like that. Obviously, if you celebrate Christmas, you know, it's you you tend to drink more I know I do you can tend to drink more alcohol you know you have Christmas parties don't you? you see friends that you might not see every week because it's coming up to Christmas you're eating more food you're eating more rich food and stuff like that so it's a really kind of hard time of year for us and I think I, I can imagine a lot of people become quite unwell now it's really difficult at those events and like when things are happening that you want to celebrate and you want to have cake or pie or whatever but like I know sugar kills my stomach. I don't think it's even like the alcohol part of alcohol that gets to me. Cause if I just have vodka soda, like I'm usually okay, but wines and stuff with the sugar, oh, it destroys. I'm my exactly the same. I'm exactly right? the same. So, so I'm, it's really weird actually. So beer, so, uh, you know, I drink bottled beer. That's my absolute go-to that, that I never makes me ill. Yeah. Um, but wine makes me really ill. And I swear that's the sugar and that and then cocktails I was I think I was in London last weekend and I'd had espresso martinis which is always a disaster for me because I don't drink coffee number one so my body's always goes into shock whenever I have one of those cocktails and then I just yeah I just think oh well, I was so ill the next day at our friend's house Sam <laughs> did he take care of you no he was asleep <laughs> I just had like the worst shits at his house I had to like flush his toilet like 20 million times and um I was thinking I'm but definitely gonna wake him up a, he has an incredible bathroom I, I miss that his ba- yeah but that's the, that's oh. that's even worse isn't it he's got well, he's you're got, gonna be stuck in a washroom no but that's what nice but but it's so nice you're really worried about having the shits in there <laughs> so like it's a it's an ongoing joke right so so one of my closest mates Marth she used to live there as well. We've all lived at Sam's. Thanks, yeah. buddy. And he takes, um, he, it's fine. he takes us all in. <laughs> and um, so I always have the shits at Sam's. Usually because I go up to London, you know, we have drinks, go for food, blah, blah, blah. So I'm always like 
shitting my load at Sam's. But I cannot she, wait to send this to him. <laughs> she, she, when she lived there, she did, uh, she, Marth tans. And I remember, you know, he's got like that beautiful, I don't know what material it is because it's too posh for me, that beautiful toilet. She got like a tanning ass mark on his beautiful toilet. And I got I a picture. Do you remember this? And yeah. I got like a picture of it. And he was just like, you guys kill me, literally. If it's not you shitting your load in my bathroom and just stinking out my whole house, I've got Marty's ass print now on my beautiful toilet. I don't know how he got it off. It wasn't there when I was there on Sunday, Saturday. Yeah. Cause I think by the time I got there, it was gone. <laughs> that was away for a bit. And then I came. <laughs> But see, his thing with, with me, and it's fair, um, is shedding. Like, I, I have such long hair. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember that. so mad because my hair was everywhere. And, like, you just could never get rid of it. Should we talk a bit more about your diagnosis? Get a bit more background? I feel like we are quite boring when we just run alone. So. <laughs> it's so true. So, or at least we find ourselves boring. So we've put together a few questions. So we're just going to interview each other. That should be, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it'll be more entertaining. I feel so professional. That's what everyone says. (laughs) What type of symptoms did you have before getting diagnosed? So my symptoms started when I was about 10. And interestingly, I was misdiagnosed for, it was about two to three years and a really, really long time yeah so I'm really frustratingly I won't go too far into this because I know that I, I'm not by any means kind of saying anything bad about the clinicians involved but really frustratingly they kept saying to my mother because obviously I was a child that because I was turning into a teenager I probably had an eating disorder and I didn't I didn't have an eating disorder I was still playing loads of sport. I've always loved my food. I've always had a really good relationship with my food because of my family, big foodies. You're always traveling, always was eating different cuisines. And I was always really sporty. So I, but I think frustratingly for me, because it was so inaccurate, I was just getting more and more annoyed with the doctor. Um, but my symptoms there was that I was losing loads of weight. And I'm quite a skinny like girl anyway that I I take after my dad my dad's very tall and very slim um and I've always been quite small and so I was losing weight and that was quite worrying but my stomach was getting bigger and bigger and that was obviously the mass that I had on my small intestine at the time but we didn't know that and what was happening was I was still trying to play sport every day because I played everything at school and out of school um but I had no energy. So my sports teachers were obviously flagging up that I wasn't myself. Obviously I swam for my school and my swimming teacher could notice in my swimsuit that I was really, really tiny and I had this really protruding stomach. So she raised to my mum, she was really worried about me and I just wasn't myself. And every time I'd have dinner, I'd obviously go to the toilet because it would go straight through me. And the problem was when we told the doctor this, he, he just thought I was going to purge, which was again, really frustrating because I wasn't. And I, as everyone knows, actually when you're in such discomfort, the, the main place you want to go to is the toilet because you feel quite safe mm-hmm. there. Did you, did you try to 
not argue with them, but explain to them that that wasn't it. Like, did you, cause yeah. you're so young. Like it's hard to have a voice when you're that yeah. young, um, when you're I'm, engaging with adults and professionals. Yeah. I mean, it was difficult because I was so young. I've always been quite outspoken. I've always been very confident as a child growing up. I get that from my grandma, um, you know, and I've always had quite a lot of her personality. So yeah, I, I kept going back and saying, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to eat all the time. I can't and I, and I was getting upset because I couldn't play sport because sport is a massive part of my life um and it, in the end what happened was my friend's dad who's a GP and I and ironically I never went to see him at our local surgery because I was embarrassed so I never saw him as a GP because I used to go around to his house at night and play and you know so it was a bit embarrassing to ever see him for any health conditions but interestingly he saw me in there again that night I'll never forget it it was at the end of the day not at night obviously and he actually came in and gave a second opinion and I'll never forget this being led on the couch and he literally all he did was he just pressed my stomach and he blue lighted me up to children's hospital that night um and and he said Cass says I can feel there's a massive mass on your small intestine and I remember going up to the children's hospital that night being in hospital for weeks um, just on a drip because obviously I couldn't um, have any uh, food or anything um, and yeah that was the that was the initial start of it so I think I was 13 at that point but it'd been going on since I was 10. Okay did you have surgery to get rid of the mass or what did they no. end up doing? No so what they did was they put me on a drip sir um, and I was on a drip for ages um, and I remember <laughs> I remember this is Cass all over because I hated being in hospitals. I just, and I I remember making loads of friends on the ward, (laughs) Um, helping them with all their health problems. Sorry, um, who were you helping? Were you going around each de- like bed? And I remember, to be a doctor? I'll never forget it. I remember a girl with cystic fibrosis and she was constantly in there. She had her own room. So she knew the ward really well. So I used to go in and, um, we used to read together and do things like that and then I'll never forget a, a, a young guy called Nathan and I, really, I fancied him and he was in I think with pneumonia and I remember me and him just talking about sport and football and things like that but I had a bit of a crush on him but I just remember making friends on the wall because I was so bored because I, I'm such like an active person and always doing stuff and I have done since a really young age I just remember like bopping around talking to everyone I wasn't I was not the best patient at all and I just remember turning around to the nurses and clinicians whoever was doing ward round one day and I was like how do I get out of here and I think they were a bit taken aback because my mum wasn't there at the time and I remember them saying Cassie only way you can leave this hospital is if you go on a liquid only diet at home and I was like that's fine how do I do that and I think they were a bit what (laughs) (laughs) and I just said how do I how, how do I do this liquid diet because I, I need to get out of here. I want to go back to school. I want to play sport. This is just yeah. rubbish. And you did it. Yeah. I, I said, just tell me what I need to do. And they said, well, what we do is we give people ensures. And still to this mm-hmm. day, I always call them my miracle drinks. Um, and if I'm ever really ill, I'll order some ensures. And I don't know if they're available in every country, but they're basically meal supplements in a liquid form. You wouldn't be able to have them served because they're full of dairy. Um, so I don't know whether they've done like a vegan alternative or anything at this point. Mm. Hopefully they have. Luckily, I haven't had to have them in a long time. Um, but 
yeah, I had those for months. So I was on, I, I think I drank like eight to 10 of those a, a day um, for months. I can't even remember how long. And I used to take them in school. So like all my buddies would be like sat in the cafeteria eating their bangers and mash. And I'd be just nipping out my little Earnshaw drink, but they made me so well so quickly. Even though I had to be on them for ages, I pretty much started playing sports straight away. Amazing. And um, yeah, I was back at school. So what kind of, did they do any other tests? Like when you went to the hospital or have you, have you gone? Yeah, I had loads of tests. Obviously they did all the blood tests, blah, blah, blah. I had a biopsy of the mass um, done and that's what determined it was Crohn's disease. But I also had the endoscopies, the colon, I can't ever say the other one. What's the other one? Colonoscopy. That's the one. Yeah. Are they the same thing? Or are they different ones? No. So then, uh, oh wait, sorry. Oh, endoscopy. Like so is endoscopy, endoscopy up the bum? Colonoscopy yeah, down the throat? Yeah, but it doesn't go the full core. No, no, no. Ah. Both are up the bum. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> colonoscopy goes like the full way, not okay. full, full way, but like up further. The other one doesn't go as far. And then the there's another one that goes down your throat. Um, side note, do not listen to us for any medical advice. I could be yeah. completely wrong on all of this. So we're not we're not up to date on the terminology. Obviously. Well, basically <laughs> I had all the oscopies. <laughs> all of them. All of them. I had all the oscopies. And then the one, the one investigation that I'll never forget is a barium mill. So everyone out there who's had a barium mill will know what this horrible investigation is. So you drink this like milky chalky powder. Well, it's not powder. It's a, it's a liquid. And basically it's to determine where in your digestive system, there's a problem digesting something. And um, I just remember pooing myself whilst being <laughs> investigated. That was it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I, so I drank this liquid and then I think I'm assuming it's like an x-ray or something. And yeah, I just pooed myself on the table because it just went straight through me. I was so ill. Hey, poor thing though. I know. And then we spoke about this, didn't we? Like, you obviously have to get stool samples like every day and I obviously I was at that really un, like really awkward age where I was 13 and like do you know what I mean people like there's hormones like kicking off you know and like you fancy everyone and I just remember these really hot doctors and really hot like nurses asking for my poo samples I was like oh for fuck's sake like this is so shit and because you're young as well you're embarrassed and you know, it's just a bit crap at that age, isn't it? Do you know oh what God, I mean? Definitely. I mean, yeah. thank God I wasn't that age, but yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make so many jokes then about your type, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. When I say these doctors and nurses are hot, no one's going to believe me now. Are they? Do you know what? It's an ongoing joke with one of my closest mates, Marth again. Hey, Marth. Uh, if I ever say so-and-so is really fit or I've met someone really fit or whatever she'll go is this your fit or like the general pub public <laughs> like population fit and I'll go all right chill out Fair. <laughs> moving um, on <laughs> <laughs> so how did you feel when you got diagnosed well again it was do you know what because I was that sort of age it was it was a bit of a weird one because I was a kid turning into a teenager oh teenager um it was a long time ago, so I probably don't know the exact thing I felt. Um, but I've always been really, really practical 
logical and quite not it sounds bad but not emotionless but I'm, I'm quite good in crisis and I always have been since I was a kid so anything like that I'm pretty good at processing if that makes sense so I think because they'd found out what it was I was starting to feel better excuse me um and I was playing sports again I was back at school and I was hanging out with my friends again I was really happy and I think as soon as they told me the diagnosis you know what I'm like Sarah I just started researching it and that's all I want because again like I've always been that sort of person like this has happened let's deal with it and I've literally been like that since I was a kid so I don't think I was upset or anything I just wanted to know what it was and what could I do to make it better and again because I love sport and even at that age I travel loads with my family and even my friends families how am I going to get back on that plane how am I going to travel how am I going to do all the awesome stuff that I love doing and actually more importantly because I've always loved my food how am I going to have grandma's roast dinner on Sunday again you know it's that it was those things that I was like right let's get sorted yeah which is amazing for that age that's really especially when we didn't have wi-fi and google people so so so, oh my gosh so for the younger listeners (laughs) the internet was not the internet when I was 13 so when I was well it wasn't google but when I was searching stuff about Crohn's disease which there wasn't a lot of stuff around about the disease anyway we had this thing called dial up internet do you remember it Sarah (laughs) and it took hours so you'd like I don't even know how you logged on but it would literally go and it would your house sounded like it was about to explode and then something would come up on your huge computer that you had because they were really cool back in the day like if you had a computer it was amazing but they were really like thick and chunky weren't they they took over like a room in your house and you'd look something up and it would take so long for that page to come up so you'd you'd think okay well I'm going to read this page for a bit because it took 10 minutes to upload upload load what the terminology um but yeah so I started tried to research online but I mean it just was a nightmare so I went to the library and found loads of books and they were so depressing (laughs) and I remember reading them and again thank god I'm not like a Debbie Downer I remember reading them and they basically went like this Crohn's disease what it is um what you need to eat nothing (laughs) when you can travel never have a relationship think again sex never (laughs) children yeah right you'll probably get bowel cancer early and die. That's literally, (laughs) honestly is pretty much it. (laughs) I said, you had the books read and I was like, what the fuck, man? I was like, well, this isn't happening to me. So, um, so yeah, I carried on researching, found more books such like, um, had in my head, even at that age, this is, this is rubbish. I'm going to write a book to prove everyone wrong, um, which I'm still working on. And, uh, yeah, I just I had a look at what they advised to do in relation to foods, which was literally eat nothing. But I did like a trial and error at a very young age with foods. And I, I realized that wheat for me is just my killer. And I just can't eat wheat. Wheat just makes me really ill. So I've always kept away from wheat. And then at the time, I couldn't eat a lot anyway. But now I can eat a hell of a lot more than I used to. But I just eliminated loads of foods there. And I've always managed it through nutrition. 
That's really good for being that young, being able to have a, that kind of perspective on everything, very optimistic perspective, as well as being able to manage your diet at that age for you to take that time and step aside and be like, Hey, like, how do I work my way through this? Let me do some research. Let me figure out how my body works. Let me test. And all of that at 13 is quite big. That's it. That's a lot for a child to take on. I was super lucky. They say, if I'm honest, I've, I have, well, I had, and I have the most incredible friends and my friends then I still have now. And I guess I've always taken the mick out of myself. Like that is just me all over. So I think having awesome friends and family around you where you know, it was that age where everyone is having pizza and, you know, having sleepovers. And then we started going out, et cetera, et cetera. So all my lot knew, you know, we wouldn't go and eat at certain places. I couldn't eat anything at like, you know what I'm like, we've traveled together. I, I never, ever make a big deal about where I can eat because I can always find something I can eat. I'm a big believer in that. I never make fuss. Um, but I've always had awesome friends that, I never felt because of my illness, I couldn't do something. So whether it was being around my friend's house for food, going out at night, going to a rave, because we started raving at 14. We started young and we started going on holiday young together. So we, I just wow. had awesome friends that, you know, oh no, let's not go. Well, it would just be funny. Like, let's not go to this pizzeria because Castle have the ships for two days. You know, we just took the piss. That's, that's how we still do now. <laughs> Yeah. literally get, I'm the butt of everyone's jokes literally you started <laughs> raving at 14 yeah 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 we all started raving we used to go to drum and bass raves at 14 started young I'd say yeah God. we were we were little ravers we loved it we always and we uh my mum was pretty much the only mum that knew where we really were <laughs> and a couple of my guy friends mums who were really cool as well so we'd either stay at my mum's house or a couple of my guy friends houses so one of my best mates Joel his mum, absolute legend. We would pretty much either be at my house or Joel's house because my mum and his mum would always know where we were. And we'd kind of pile in at 4am, 5am. And, you know, she could, they could both see our, our shoes were there. So they were happy we were home. And mum used to come pick us up from the raves as well. She was a legend. To be fair, my mum was like that as well. All through yeah. high school, it was like, if you are going to drink, yeah. fine. She's not ignorant. Like she knows teenagers drink but yeah. the rule was we always had to call her no matter what time it was to pick For us sure. up she just never wanted us to get into a car with anybody yeah and that's um, same. same which is I think good parenting in a way but it's not that kind of podcast so let's not go into that um, <laughs> another podcast the most embarrassing story oh good well I've obviously got loads um Oh my it's gonna be ha- it's gonna be ha- oh, sorry it has to be good because you know I'm not gonna have any really good ones <laughs> I need to make up for both of us I'm trying to think when because I've got so many stories where I've literally shat myself not like shat, shat myself but where I've literally had to use like the most embarrassing do you know what probably it's not my most embarrassing but this is a shout out to my girl mates because my guy mates couldn't help with this but there were many a times so we'd be at raves and anyone that knows what raves are like the toilets are horrific you're lucky if you've got a toilet at a rave and I tell you I tell my girl mates were incredible so I used to 
my stomach used to be quite bad when I was younger, probably because I was drinking too much and I, you know, just, yeah, I wasn't looking after myself the best, but if I used to have the shits at a rave, <laughs> my girlmates used to do three things, which were amazing because it made them look like absolute morons. So they'd either keep the hand dryers on continuously to cover the sound, but they'd like burn their hands and people would just look at them really weirdly. Like, why are you keeping the um, hand dryers on? Or one of my mates used to sing really loudly and she said people used to look at her like she was just like losing the plot, but it was to cover the noise of me literally having the shits or they would keep the, um, the taps running. So they used to wow. do one of those two things and all the girls used to do that for me. So they'd keep the taps running, but again, they'd probably like be starting to like burn their skin, like washing their hands and people would be looking at them like, why are you still washing your hands? But they used to do all sorts. If we were in like quite small and contained um, toilets, they used to, yeah, talk really loudly, sing, hand towels and running the taps. Wow. Just to, just to have my back. Friends. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Really <laughs> so yeah, shout out to the girls oh. for doing that because I know that was, <laughs> was a bit difficult at the time. Those are good friends. Really good friends. <laughs> How do you explain your diagnosis to other people? Yeah, so ironically, even though we're talking about our diagnosis on the podcast, I don't really talk about my Crohn's disease unless it comes out quite naturally. So really interestingly, when I shared this podcast with loads of my mates, obviously my closest mates know I've got Crohn's, but quite a lot of my uni mates that I kind of see once a year or haven't seen for years, text me saying, oh my God, Palm, I didn't realize you had an actual illness. I just thought you had the shits. Or one of my mates said, I just thought you had a weird diet, you know? And, and these are people that, you know, I spent a lot of time with and still do. So I guess usually how it happens there is if I'm, especially if I'm out eating and I say, well, can I have a gluten-free menu or something like that? People will say, oh, have you got celiacs? And I say, oh, no, I've got Crohn's disease, you know, just something like that. And then people will ask. So I just usually say, oh, I've had it for years, had it since I was a kid. My small intestine's a little bit all over the place. And it just means I can't eat certain foods. And that's kind of how I describe it. Do you know what I mean? I just keep it quite light. And then if people have got more questions, which some people do, some people don't, they're like, okay, usually like, if it's guy mates, they're like, okay, you know, whereas girl mates will kind of go into it like, oh, how else do you feel, Cass? What else can't you do? Or blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give that information according to what the questions are asked, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. What do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of Crohn's? Oh, uh, loads, absolutely loads. So I've had, I'm sure I've said this to you before, Sarah, which actually is quite nasty and quite spiteful I think of people because it's a disease because it's Crohn's disease people think it's contagious so I've actually had quite some quite strange reactions to me before in relation to them thinking it's a contagious disease and obviously again you know what I'm like I've taken the absolute mick out of them yes it is (laughs) don't touch me sister um yeah exactly so yeah people think it's a it's um it's contagious which I find hilarious um or I've had some really peculiar um questions usually of people I don't know very well as well who literally come out and say have you got a bag which um, I find a really peculiar response, especially if you don't 
like obviously everyone that knows me my best friends and family know I haven't got a bag because I haven't had an operation I've been I I I just haven't but um you know lots of people do and actually the operations have saved so many people's lives um but I find it a really peculiar question to ask someone with a bowel disease like I think it's quite a direct question isn't it because you know some people are not some people but some people will find it really difficult to discuss something like that others are you know really good in relation to raising the awareness of having a soma bag for example but I think it's quite a direct question and I've had that a lot um and I have had people ask me um how I work (laughs) how I travel and how I have relationships with my Crohn's disease and it's it's really weird I know we've released a video on this before but I think a misconception about bowel disease as well is it's that same old thing isn't it someone knows someone with a bowel disease right so if you're working and traveling and in a relationship or have had kids or smiling and have a bit of makeup on and have managed to blow dry your hair people assume you haven't got it badly (laughs) which I just always find hilarious and I've had that quite a lot as well so I think it's like anything isn't it it's it's a spectrum and actually yeah I might be laughing and joking today but actually at like 10 o'clock last night I couldn't breathe and I think, I think just think before you speak, people, sometimes, <laughs> because, you know, a lot yeah. of people have health conditions and just because they're at work or at a wedding, having a glass of champers and a canapé doesn't mean that they're not chronically unwell. And I think that's really important for people to remember sometimes. Definitely. How you navigate through a new relationships, so the whole dating world and kind of explaining your situation situation your diagnosis yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's a whole other podcast Uh, (laughs) um yeah again to be honest there like it again it just comes out really kind of organically I guess so my last boyfriend um onesie who you I'll get you to love him really because he is actually a really nice guy um uh (laughs) yeah like I remember him saying to me a few months in like Cass I always forget like that you've got Crohn's and and it's true like quite a lot of people say that to me not in like a horrible way but in a you know he's an amazing cook like we always had beautiful food lots of really lovely wine we you know we had some really lovely times when we were together and um yeah he just said I always forget and it was just I I would just sometimes remind him you know to get the gluten-free soy sauce if he was doing some Asian cuisine um etc etc but I again I think it I don't really say say anything Sarah until I need to so for example if a, um, a new boyfriend's offering to cook and I think partners in particular now they do ask if anyone's got you know any like allergies or intolerances because it's so massive now isn't it so I think usually when I said oh yeah I just can't eat any wheat so gluten-free stuff's just awesome and they've said and they genuinely usually say because celiac's quite really well known now yeah that's usually people's go go to isn't it and then I say oh no I've got Crohn's and then it they'll ask questions and that's kind of how I've rolled with it to be honest and always have done since I was young Because I've been in, you know, I've been in relationships since I was 14. Oh, wow. Um, So, yeah, I've I've always had many relationships (laughs) since I was 14. (laughs) 
um so you know it's never stopped me being in relationships it's it's yeah continued to travel with with my partners and um yeah it's it yeah I've I've just rolled with it yeah that's good that's really what kind of treatments and medications have you had over the years so initially when I was discharged from children's hospital the other thing that they said I had to have alongside my ensures was um some medication so I remember at the time when I was discharged I was on um, a really high dose of anti-inflammatory oral and also oral steroids so unfortunately um the steroids made me quite ill so I know we're going to do like a um, an episode on medication and, and side effects aren't we that's you know really important for us to talk about and again, we're not clinicians, guys. So this is just pure experience of what we've, myself and Sarah, have gone through. But I became really ill on steroids. And I think because of the age there that I was discharged on these this medication, like, you know, you've got to remember I was 13. I was, sorry, I just not my mic. <laughs> I was 13. I'd come on my period the same year. <laughs> it was a good year, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one to remember <laughs> it was one to remember um so I came on my periods was in hospital um and yeah I was going through puberty and so it was it was really really difficult for my mum in particular and the steroids unfortunately made me very um aggressive towards my mum I really I became very um, angry and they, I, they just had terrible side effects from them um, which you know happens you know all medication comes with with the potential side effects you know and it's that balancing is it doing you or the positives that way and the negatives and unfortunately for my particular circumstance they weren't so mum and I went to the GP and and, and, and mum said mum actually said I can't I can't actually manage her on these these medications because she's she's turned since being on these meds so the GP took me off my steroids. Um, I continued on my anti-inflammatories. I would say for a couple of years. So I had these like, I think they were like, like 500 milligrams. They're massive. And I remember taking like eight of those a day. It was a huge dose. And I took those for a couple of years. And then when I'd really, really kind of nailed down my nutrition and I was off the ensures, off mash and chicken, which was like the only thing I could eat for years. I think once I started to really um concentrate on my, my nutrition again I went back to the GP with mum because again I was a, a child I couldn't do anything without her yeah. I went to the GP came off um my medication and then I wasn't on anything since I was 15 so I've, I've not had any um medical treatment since I was 15 yeah so what's that yeah 21 years ago that's amazing yeah really cool let's finish it off with one more question do you have any advice that you would give to somebody that's either newly diagnosed or living with Crohn's disease? Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. So I guess the initial advice always would be not to panic, um, especially when you're newly diagnosed. You're often kind of sat with clinicians who are discussing your illness and you probably don't know what's going on. You've probably never heard these words before um, and it can be really overwhelming. So I would always say to kind of, you know, listen to everything being discussed, but also kind of do your own research as well in relation to what's going to help you. 
And this is kind of relatable to people who have newly been diagnosed and people who have had Crohn's or, or colitis or any kind of IBD um, for a very long time. And I think it's working out what's best for you. I obviously really, really concentrate on my nutrition and fitness and well-being and stress management and making sure I'm sleeping, making sure I'm drinking loads of water um, and making sure I'm really, really looking after myself. And that really works for me. Um, and I would always, regardless of whether you're on medication, regardless of whether you've had an operation or maybe having an operation, please incorporate those things into your life as well, because they will really, really help your physical and mental health overall. So concentrating on really good, wholesome foods, loads of water, fitness where you can, you know, when we're really, really unwell, I'm, I really appreciate we can't, we can't get out of bed or we can't leave our home, but if there's some like stretching you can do or some yoga or anything like that, or any kind of activity that you know is really good for distraction reading baking even if you can't eat the end result but you really enjoy the process of doing it speaking to someone on the phone watching a movie anything like that that is going to make you feel better and distracted from this illness is really really important I think when we start to feel a little bit better and we can leave the house and we can do other things I would also always advise people to concentrate on their goals and for me, Sarah, that was the that was the thing that got me through my illness when I was younger. I was adamant I wanted to go to university. I was adamant I wanted to travel. Um, and actually, the first time I ever travelled properly with all of my friends, I was quite unwell. Um, I travelled for I think it was six weeks, maybe eight weeks, all all across Thailand when I just finished my A levels, and I wasn't I wasn't in the best place. Um, but I was adamant I did it. And, and I did. And I was adamant I went to university and I was adamant that I wanted to travel. And I always did throughout university. Um, and I think it's if you want to do stuff, have that in your mind. And even if you're feeling so, so ill, please still have those goals in your mind, because I think for me, they always got me through things. Um, it's really interesting. I was talking to my mum recently about when I was unwell when I was younger and um, she just said I was super, super determined. And she, interestingly, I never, she's never spoken to me about this before, but she thinks that me working from a young age helped as well. So from the age of 14, I worked in a local pub. And then when I turned 16, I started working in retail and I had two jobs. And she's adamant that me playing sport and me working as hard as I did, so I always worked on weekends, and she was laughing. She was like, you'd go to raves and then go and work <laughs> a couple of hours later. I used to work in a local pub after school at night. So I used to cut vegetables and then I was a waitress. Then I was behind the bar when I was a little bit older. And she's adamant that me working and playing sport and still going to school because I could. I was physically well enough to do those things. That's a really important thing to say. Um, but she thinks those things got me through. And I think that um, still to this day, I work hard. I do lots of side projects, as you know, you guys can hear. This is one of them. Um, and I think distraction and fulfillment and concentrating on things that make you feel really good is really important. Surround yourself by all, with awesome people. Be in healthy relationships. That's super important. And um, yeah, just keep on going. That's that's. It sounds a bit cheesy, but that's the advice I would give anyone newly diagnosed or or someone like me who's who's lived with this for the majority of their life that was a lot of information and just getting a better understanding of everything you've gone through because everybody has such a different story and experience if anyone's got questions 
just DM us on Instagram or uh, email us at hello at popthelou.com because I'm more than happy to uh, share any other stories with you, share any other experience with you, explain anything a bit further if you're interested at all. Um, And, you know, like I said earlier, we're not clinicians, we're not giving medical advice, but we're only talking from our own experience. And, you know, if, if this helps you, then my goodness, email us and and we'll hopefully um, offer some tips that have helped us in the past. Absolutely. And I know we do this a lot. I noticed it in our last podcast is refer to videos and things we've posted on Instagram. So if you're not following us on Instagram yet, I highly recommend you do because we do share quite a bit of behind the scenes on there and the link will be in our description, but we are at pop to the loo podcast. So definitely come and follow us on there and message us. We always respond. Um, and by we, I mean, Cass, she's all over it. <laughs> Unless, yeah, um, I, Sarah doesn't even respond to my emails guys. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy responding to your, like I had 16, 16, babe messages from you. When I woke up this morning, I sent you loads. So I did. I did miss the, uh, the two emails, but <laughs> They take it personally. I'll always email you back, people. (laughs) Amazing. But yeah, definitely follow us. And of course, you can listen to us on Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts. It's so lovely to have done our second episode and hope you really enjoy it, guys. And love you to bits.